Welcome into Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club. Episode 11, Tanner Sandell here with my co-host, Connor Hendrickson. Connor, great to have you back in my home. Uh, awesome episode today, man. Thank you so much for the event at Park Mammoth, the extinction. It was a blast. Kudos to you and hats off. I'm wearing my extinction hat right now, so extinction hats off to you. Uh, great job, Connor. Thanks for being here today, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me very much. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Pleasure to talk to everybody and get this content dialed in and sent out for y'all. Um, yeah, the extinction was an absolute blast. We get into that. We talk about some housekeeping stuff with merchandise, with our um, High Cotton Sportsbook in the PGA at Southern Hills. Um, talk a little bit about um, our season ending. It's crazy to think that our season is ending. Um, it's you know only May. June's not quite here, but we only have two events left before the showdown, our season ending event. Um, and then the High Cotton Classics kicking off in Kentucky and Alabama. Excited about that as we're getting the bracket play stage kicked off here in Tennessee. Yeah, what a blast the Classic has been so far. Uh, I can't say enough about the High Cotton Club and the Classic and the events and all that's going on to this point. Um, it has been uh, a, a pure joy this year, and I can't wait to see what continues to unfold. Yep. Thank you so much to everybody who's been involved. You guys really make it what it is. and. Um, can never express my gratitude enough. So um, heading into this episode, we wrap it with some life advice. Um, but, you know, we always couldn't do it without our par partners and friends at Golf RX. Seth came up for the Extinction and Park Mammoth, made it to that final group in the Derby. Um, he made it, you know, to this final match in the Classic. We get into that. Um, but the guys at Golf RX always keeping us dialed in with the High Cotton Club. Did my weekly stop in with the guys at Golf RX this week uh, on Wednesday. And let me tell you, the new simulator is so sick. We're playing 16 at TPC Sawgrass and uh, can't say enough about uh, the guys at Golf RX. And shout out to Seth and Ryan. Uh, you guys are great. If you guys need any lessons, club repairs, fittings, grips, any of that stuff, go see the boys and let them get you hashtag dialed. So thank you so much for listening to episode 11 of Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club. Please enjoy. Rich, some guys like it quiet, some guys like it loud. This is you know, Gator needs to look like he needs some exercise, I don't know. Now that he has to play the shot, test anyone. It's a great story. Welcome into another episode of Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club. I am Connor Hendrickson. And I am Tanner Sandell. What an episode we have for y'all today. I'm sitting here 
Back at Tanner's house, thank you for having me once again. Got NLU on the big screen, and we have quite an episode to talk about today. Coming off of, I'm still vibing off of the extinction on Sunday. I'm in here, I'm rocking my extinction hat, um, and I, I can't get enough of this hat. The logo goes crazy. Again, shout out to Pat and Connor for getting those details dialed in. Uh, I've been living on cloud nine um, since since the extinction at Park Mammoth. What a blast I had, and I can't wait to dive in a little bit deeper about that today. Well, before we get into it, we got some uh, housekeeping items and then want to dive into some of the things that happened out in Oklahoma this past weekend and how that affected the High Cotton Club. Um, So some merch updates for you. Um, Hats, still coming. Extinction hats. If you want extinction hats, if you uh, wanted an extra one, I know a white hat, it's hard to keep clean, right? I know I'm getting an extra one for myself. Some um, guys from other roosts on the refuge are looking to get some. So we have a sheet out there right now. If you want to re-up on an extinction hat, um, say an extinction hat five times fast, um, then go ahead and sign up on the Google sheet. We'll get you dialed in with that. Those will be coming. Um, we I know that we've talked about tour visors. Tour visors are looking great. They're going to be really cool. They're coming. But the holdup right now is our sun hats. Um, our sun hats are, they would be super expensive. Um, they would be basically $45 where most of our hats are running $25, $30 on the expensive ones, right? These would be 45 and we would really need a strong commitment to make these work. Um, we would need to get 30 of them. And so I don't know if it's really, they look awesome. They would be really cool. Um, but I'm not sure if it's super worth it. The bucket hat, just like a a smaller bucket hat is an option. Um, I know Gervais has rocked one, but I don't think I've seen anybody else rock one. Yeah, I I think it's a kind of a tough topic because I think it takes a certain guy to pull that off and shout out to those of you that do rock those and pull them off. But I think the only thing I'd say about that is if you're, if you listen to this and you're interested, if you're on discord, um, and you see the conversation on a topic come up, I'd say let's go ahead and get the info in sooner than later, so that way we kind of can either decide to do it or punt and go another direction. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, either way, tour visors are going to be really cool. Got some more hats coming that are going to be cool with um, more events in the future and stuff like that. So stay tuned. Um, I know that I've been talking about gloves, just waiting on an email back. A lot of waiting on emails right now. Um, so I know that's going to be kind of, people are going to be tired of hearing me say that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm following up. I'm doing everything that I can without being annoying to these people and these companies. So just bear with me as I promise I'm working to get things dialed in for y'all. Um, moving forward to Southern Hills, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had quite a a group, um, watching out at the extinction. Um, I know Seth's wife thought everybody was taking a selfie, but no, they were just watching JT put it in at the end so um what did you think about overall the pga and how it affected us with the high cotton sports book uh yeah man obviously i'm pumped to see jt win his uh his second major uh he hasn't won a major since 2017 it was also a pga i know some of you guys are giving him you know some some negative feedback about is it really you know two majors under his belt is the pga really serious and some of that conversation 
Uh, I kind of hate to hear that. If it, I, and I don't know if I'm just partial to JT. I don't know or, where you've seen that conversation. That's a ridiculous uh, conversation for people to be having. Yeah, listen to the listen to the NLU pod on the on the follow up from the tournament. Um, I have been listening yeah. to it. When did they get into that? So Is it, it, it wasn't a take. It, well, no, it wasn't a take of the NLU guys. It was that in the Twitter verse that they're astutely aware of. There were some takes, you know, basically just kind of, you know, kind of taking some jabs around there that he has one and a half or before he won this one, he had half of a major or whatever, just because that it's a PGA. But I mean, dude, a major is a major. There's big names. There were big names in the field. It wasn't just club pros, right? Like that's kind of the negative connotation that it's getting. So no, I think. I think that's a, if you think that the PGA isn't a major, it isn't serious. I think that's a bad take. What I did like from the NLU pod and what I thought was a really good take was what Big Randy was talking about with the the rise in talent, how people still separate themselves in other sports. And I thought that was a really interesting conversation, interesting take, and something that I could absolutely get behind. You know, in a in a situation like this tournament where JT separated himself from really. I think he said, what, he was eight shots back with ten holes to play. So it took a lot for him to win that tournament out of his control. People had to fall apart. And whether that was him coming and applying pressure like a Tiger effect or whether that was just inexperienced guys falling apart, he – I don't know if it was a crowning necessarily. He definitely went out and got it. But but so many things had to fall into the right place for him that um, I can certainly see that take being had. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I think it's a crowning, but I think that it's I think it I think it it fits it belongs it feels right to see JT win a major it feels right to see JT kind of grind through that and not really writing it off and and finishing right like that's why you finish in those type of events because you don't know what's what's left on the golf course. Absolutely, and he did all the right things. We talked about it um, heading into was it heading into the players or heading into the Masters. The Bones effect. The JT is one of the best golfers in the world. Yeah, yeah he's got the chloroform the miss, and he's got a couple misses in the bag, which he showed on Sunday. You know, he had an S word, which I'm all too familiar <laughs> with. But like it, things like that happen, and he's obviously got the skill and the mental capabilities to come back from those mistakes and uh, capitalize. And so, I, not to discredit him at all in any way, I think it's fitting for him to be a major champion. I think he's one of the best golfers in the world. He's got my favorite swing on tour. So, like, I, I just the one complaint that I have about his win this week is a Sunday outfit. Bro, I was going there too. I was just getting ready to go there. Uh, and and talk about that. And I had another point I wanted to make, but I literally just forgot that point because of how on point that that statement was because I wanted to go there. You have to think uh, he didn't think he had a chance to win if he was dressing like that on Sunday. Black hat and black shoes and joggers? What is this, Eric Van Royen? God, it's like the 2022 Jimmy Walker. Uh, it's... Uh, I expect a little bit better out of out of that. I'm definitely buying JT's stock, but I'm I'm not buying the fit at all. Speaking, not even the color choice of the shirt, to be honest. Speaking of buying stock, bone stock. Have you ever seen another caddy with their own commercial? No. And by the way, Bones is a good follow on Instagram too. Like I I was just watching the other day, and and a Bones commercial popped up, and it's like, holy cow. 
he has made himself into such a, an enterprise and an entity that now he's got his own sponsorships and getting put on TV. Good for him. Great. Just awesome. Um, I know that this win had to mean a lot. Um, a lot of poetic justice, I guess, with Tiger having to drop out on after Saturday, JT rising on Sunday, Phil being a no-show, Bones taking it all the way. A lot of uh, a lot of symmetry out there, I guess. A lot of stuff going on. Um, Bones has definitely built a notoriety, and he's he's just he's he's a brand at this point. You know, I'm looking back at JT's uh, Sunday fit at Augusta and his Sunday fit at the PGA, and uh, I kind of wish those were reversed. <laughs> uh, I think I'd rather see what he was wearing at Augusta um, over what was here, but. Overall, proud of JT. Um, another. Did you know that his dad was a club bro? I did know that. Yeah, oh, I, it's been his swing coach his entire life as well. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't know that until Sunday, obviously, because they they told us what fifty times. Oh, I mean, they're gonna they're <laughs> gonna pound that one in the dirt. And I saw a comment this week that JT, you know, made to his dad talking about being a swing coach and not being his dad, but being his swing coach, um, you know, and they can, they can celebrate as a family, but he's, he's literally his swing coach and he, he needs the feedback that he deserves. But, uh, a, a little deeper dive tiger with the WD I put in discord immediately when I saw it, you were the first one to respond. Um, but, uh, man, you know, I, the, what do you think about Daly's comment this week about if Tiger was in a cart, he would have been in, he would have been in, uh, in contention, stuff like that. But here's my question. Is Tiger playing the U.S. Open or is he waiting until the old course? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I don't know anything about Brookline. Um, I don't know anything about Brookline. So I don't really know. Um, I admittedly didn't see a single shot of the tournament this week until after the tournament. Um, so I don't really know. I hope so. You know, I hope so just for the sake of he's that healthy, but I would obviously like to see him compete, um, in Scotland more than I would, um, in the country club. Okay. So let me ask you this then in the, in the debate between playing regular, tour events as sort of a warm-up and to kind of regulate that challenge versus only gearing up to play the big ones what where do you where do you fall maybe there for tiger yeah i think he can do whatever he wants to do he's <laughs> tiger freaking woods people you know they were talking on the nlu pod about the tiger and jt like connection and the effect he's the greatest winner at anything so if he feels like this is what he's got to do, I'm going to trust him that he knows what he's got to do. Um, speaking about that effect real quick, do you think that the the connection that Tiger had to his dad and the connection that JT has to his dad is the reason that Tiger's kind of connected to JT more than he has any of these other younger golfers? I mean, so that's an interesting take, but I, I feel like Tiger just kind of sees something in, in JT. He's a dog. Yeah, I mean, something about his swing, his mentality, his attitude, how he interacts with his, you know, with Charlie, like all of that stuff. And I know that that's a layered take because you you get family interaction, the better your relationship grows. But still, JT as a whole, I think Tiger is in on that, and that's okay. But here's here's kind of an interesting take that was made on the NLU pod, and and I think I'm I am buying this stock as well, talking about. 
you know, Tiger is the table setter when we're growing up, right? Like, and you've got guys like JT and Rory that are watching Tiger. And, you know, the the comment was made like, do you think they just watched and were like, you know, I'll never get there. So, you know, I need to be, just be happy with what I have. Or do you think they saw that as kids and was like aspired to be that? And then when they got there, they wanted to make a run at challenging the greatest ever. I think that's why wins like this for JT that he gritted out matter right in that in that conversation of kind of being this new age dominant force on tour you have you know like tiger was am i calling jt the next tiger no i'm not but what i'm saying is seeing guys like jt and rory and those guys that are chasing it like it's because of the of what tiger did before them but i think that that's probably their goal as well is to go out and win when it matters it has to be you know um but at the same time, what they talked about on the NLU pod, and I hate to just be an echo chamber, but um, I think that there's just a line that these guys aren't willing to cross that maybe Tiger was with his personal life, and these guys just keep that balance between um, between it, between work and, and personal. And so it's something that obviously we like to see. Um, KVV was talking about, you know, he likes to see his own personal worldview reflected and – Necessi- that's not necessarily the worldview that um, is always most successful in the game of golf um, and in sports at all, as a whole. You know, when I go out for a match, I'm a completely different person than I am day to day, right? I can't, I try to treat everybody with respect all the time, but I try to be a killer, right? Like I try to go out and want to beat the other guys, you know, you know what? Um, the, the desire to win and the fear or hatred of losing more than anything fuels so many people, and that's what it takes. Um, uh, it's in it's in a in a competitor. Period. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's all it is. You know, uh, the last last thing talking about this before moving on to golf that we do know being the extinction, uh, which is I think maybe the main event for today. But um, I, I do want to. I'm glad you brought up KVV. What do you think about that situation? I loved it. I thought it was cool. Like, whatever. And he wore it. He 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 wore it. Exactly. So, like, cool. Um, But that just classic JT, man. I love it. He stared him down for just a moment, and then he says, that's a rough take in, you know, or whatever, like that snide remark, like, basically, like, yeah, screw you, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all good. Uh, I thought thought it was, uh, you know, honestly, not a bad take until it was. So, him wrong. It, it happens. Whether he admits it motivated him or not, he proved him wrong. We all have bad takes at one time or another. Hey, I, I, I'm the king of bad takes, I think, at least on this pod. All right, so um, Clay Doty ended up winning um, the High Cotton Sportsbook pool for the PGA with uh, D-Ball coming in second. Yeah. So cheers to those guys. Congratulations. Um, do you have a total for the majors pool as a whole? Um, I know that that's kind of putting you on the spot. Yeah. But we've, we've got – a lot of guys um, involved, and it's really cool to see that um, as Tanner's getting it pulled up. We take a brief break from today's episode to talk to you about the fine folks over at the Rudder at Anchor High Marina. The Patton family is always taking care of us with the High Cotton Club, and we want to make sure you get taken care of when you go see the, them at the Rudder at Anchor High Marina. On the lake at Henderson, in Hendersonville, they're going to be celebrating Memorial Day weekend, and you should be celebrating Memorial Day weekend with them there. It's a perfect weekend to be out by the water celebrating with family and friends, so they're going to be having live entertainment. Friday, they're going to have David Kane at 7 p.m., Chips and 
Sauce at 7 p.m. on Saturday. Sunday, Davidson Curtison and Jarvis at 7 p.m. And then Memorial Day festivities starting at 5 p.m. on Monday. So make sure you get out there. The Rudder at Anchor High Marina, they're open six days a week, but they're going to be open on Monday this week. So make sure you go celebrate Memorial Day with your friends and family out at the Rudder at Anchor High Marina and tell them the High Cotton Club sent you. Now back to the episode. I know that the players we took as just kind of a test run and with that being such a kind of a shootout that would have put some people in different positions but we've just included the masters and the pga so we're halfway through the major season halfway through we got d-ball being nice and consistent man so d-ball across the board he's collectively uh, been at six under for each of the each of the events that we've competed in uh, but s- same goes for the masters and pga so he's leading that 12 under uh, followed by Dan Puzo at 7-under. And this is total strokes to par uh, for all of the events. Uh, Josh Appleton in a comfy third right now at, um, let's see, 1-under. And then another 1-under in Clay Doty. And then we've got Gervais uh, at, it's a black too, so I'm assuming that's two over. Peyton Falk, uh, Patton. And then we've got Walt Draper, Chan, Klings, and Beersy. Um then we go Devro, Gooch, Munoz, Sercio, uh, myself, and then rounding out the order is Seth Grissom and Matt Britton, uh, getting all the way down to 29, 41, and 52 over stroke to par. Some tough picks there for the boys, but um, hey, it's not over till the fat lady sings, right? There could be some carnage over in um, Europe, maybe, and who knows? Could be. I-, I would hate to say that anybody's out of it quite yet. It's still just fun to to watch and pay attention to and see that interaction uh, in each event. It just kind of adds another layer to the, the viewing, you know, the, pl- the viewing yep. pleasure uh, and just interaction with, uh, you know, the club. For sure. And you just add, um, you know, you, you take one win in one event and it makes it all worth it, right? right? So cool to see. Thank you so much for getting all that together. Thank you, D-Ball, for keeping all the scores dialed in. Uh, appreciate everybody for getting involved. Moving on to, like you said, kind of the main event for today's episode. I, I know a lot's going on with the High Cotton Classic, and we'll get there in a minute. But um, the extinction on Sunday at Park Mammoth was quite a time. Quite a time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm almost speechless. Uh, I've, I've been speechless or and maybe the complete opposite of speechless when I have an opportunity to talk about the golf course and the event to people. But, oh, my gosh. I mean, I said it, I'm wearing the hat today. I haven't really taken the hat off, mainly because it's a sweet hat, but I love the event. So, man, let's let's dive into that. So, we showed up. Um, Clay Doty had the TV set up for the European League. Um, I guess that was kind of the finale of the regular season. I don't know anything about soccer, but it was... English Premier League. Yep, it was cool to see them getting excited and yelling and screaming about stuff that um, was going on. And then we had some Raising Cane show up. Shout out Brian Turley for getting that picked up and dialed in. Some good karma for Brian Turley in picking that up. Ended up winning his group and winning the Derby. So he became an extinction champ along with Dakota Brown. So congrats to them for winning the event. Um, the Derby, you know, we played 18 holes. That was fantastic. Everybody got to see the golf course. Um, everybody thought a whole lot of the golf course, as kind of expected, because it's a phenomenal golf course. But then the Derby, getting everybody together. A lot of guys, it was their first time experiencing a derby, so it was a new experience for them, feeling all those nerves, feeling the pressure, um, having you know almost 30 guys around, feeling all that energy. It was a lot, and it was really cool. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to take this thing from top to bottom, start to finish, and and I don't really want to miss a detail anywhere in between. Um, just talking about that scene when you arrive, as guys are trickling in at different times, um, just immediately we talk about the vibes a lot on here and in the group and things like that, but. Just immediately, the, the the vibes, the atmosphere with the guys, whether they were watching the game, hanging out and talking about golf or, or whatever, um, just catching up with guys they hadn't seen, guys starting to get loose, already talking about the golf course and having their speculations and predictions. All of that stuff brewing, and then we realize we kind of got our crap together and we're ready to rock and roll. Uh, the course notifies us that they've spaced out the time around us as well so that we kind of have the place to ourselves uh, for the most part so that we and definitely so that we could get started early um, and man just get getting going it's a golf course that you can see a lot of groups around you at all times and so play, never really waiting on on our end I noticed some groups were looking for some golf balls for a little while but as 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 our group collectively, we, we didn't have that issue as much, and we played at a good pace because we played behind our only threesome. Um, but uh, the, the pace just moved on, and you could just see guys across the golf course enjoying the day, getting into the process and their shots, like giving other guys kudos, like just across the board. Um, I loved it. Yeah, it was um, – I guess it's, it's kind of hard for me to see it from – the outside just kind of being on the inside and thinking about all the logistics throughout the entire day but yeah it's great to hear that everybody had a good time i appreciate everybody's feedback and obviously support and involvement park mammoth could not have been a better host um, and just can't can't emphasize how much we appreciate them for hosting us um, and look forward to hopefully headed back in the fall i know we'll talk a little bit more about that later and a little bit more about that in the future but um, park mammoth is just it's like I've said in the past, it's everything that the high cotton club kind of strives to be and represent. And it's just the perfect venue for our events and for our group. And I think that was proven with, like you said, everybody can kind of see each other playing around. Um, somebody has a big time, hits a big shot. You can hear it, you can see it. And that's just, it's perfect for having a big group out there. It, it doesn't get any better. Uh, but talk to me about, talk to me about, Talk to me about the round. Talk to me about the day. Talk to me about the golf course. I want to hear. I just want to have some good dialogue about <laughs> yeah, so, uh, the extinction. I mean, um, I mean, everybody showed up. They got gifts. They got the hat that you mentioned, a bag of tees, a bag tag. Um, in that um, was a scorecard, you know, with the logo, so everybody could have that as keepsake outside of the scorecards that were on their golf carts. Um, it was just. Yeah, it was special for me. The round started with uh, Ricky. We, you know, we played three six hole matches, and so I, I had a rematch against Ricky from our High Cotton Classic match up there a few weeks ago, and so um, went out there and it was really fun to play with him. We ended up having the match. Um, you know, not a whole lot of a drama. I don't really remember a whole lot of the round to be honest. Um, it was kind of a blur of a day. Everything happened so fast. I wish that I could go back and slow it down. Um, you know, they kind of talk about your wedding day, how it goes so goes by so fast. If if the extinction went by that fast, I can't imagine how fast my wedding might go by. 
Uh, well, I have a I have a fond memory of my wedding, and I have a very fond memory of my time at the Extinction. Man, what a blast! Um, quick shout out to to D Ball. Um, if you're a frequent listener of the pod, we talked about my favorite encore snack last time, and I talked about uh, Reese's and not eating those until the turn. Well, D Ball shows up. He's one of the first guys I see. He knows that we're paired together that day. He's already in a cart that he, you know, he's he's motioned for me to ride with him, whatever. And he leans in and he gives me a four pack of Reese's and he says, looks me dead in my eyes and say, I don't want any excuses today. And then you guys go out and you play your first match against each other. Play our first and match. And you had no excuses. He went out and he got you. He took care of me. Listen, D-Ball surprised me. Not that I was making any assumptions about his game, but I was surprised at how how pure his game was, especially getting off the tee. Um, it definitely made me rise to the occasion. Um, but we come out. We have the first one. Um, I, have a, I have a bogey on the second. Uh, so D-Ball goes one up. Uh, and then I birdie three, but then I go bogey, double bogey, par, and D-Ball wins all of those um, and actually wins three up on that side. So D- or D-Ball uh, kind of gives it to me on the first one, um, uh, but then I, I get to go on and win the next two. Um, I, I got to literally bounce back immediately from my double, which that, that's pretty funny. So I told you I wanted to save this for the pod and tell the story, so I'll go ahead and tell it now. Um, if you'll remember five was the long par, par three up the, up the hill. And I really thought I was in the process. Like I really thought I was in the process. And, um, and I think I actually noticed that several guys were in this same spot of bother that I was today. But, um, I select the club that I'm going to hit and totally bail out, fan it. We got wind straight in our face. I've taken extra club. But I end up bailing out, and I fan it over on the right. I think that it's going to be on Gooch and them on the next tee, so I'm hollering. Um, But fortunately, it doesn't. So anyways, we get up there. I'm short right of the green. I've got probably 25 yards. Um, But the way I'm looking at it and the lie that I have, in my mind, I'm like, I'm really about to hit a just a classy little flop in there. Like, I like this I'm, whole location. If you're if you left it short right, this whole location is all the way back left. So you have, I don't know, every bit of 40 yards of green in front of you. That's right. Playing up the slope, just gently, right to left. Back there. All you have, you have forever. And then, oh my God, of course, so, you and your process say, dude. I'm going to take it straight up into the wind. <laughs> That's kind of what I was banking on, and the ball being a little above my feet, I just uh, I, this this was probably one of the only truly poor decisions I made. I felt like I made that day, um, but I flushed it. I mean, flushed it way over the green, into the trees, in the yeah. So actually, find it. I hit not a terrible recovery, um, but then I two putt when I get up there. Um, yeah, Icarito, yeah. Um, but he had a nice comfy par, but, um, I, I think we, we kind of, he closed that one out. We finished up, uh, hours and then went on to, uh, six, um, had another comfy par there, but then I got to bounce back with the par three over the water, um, and hit a pretty good shot there. I think it was in contention for closest to the pin. Um, but, uh, so got to win my first hole in the next match. I went on to win the next two matches, um, speaking of rematches from yours, I had a rematch with Matt Vassell, 
um, came out on the better side of this one, but a terrific competitor and in, in Vassal. And again, he competed all day long um, and and took a couple of his matches as well. And uh, really, I can't say enough about my group as a whole. For for the most part, with the exception of my double um, and, a, and, and a couple of those guys having a double here and there, um, we all had very similar rounds and similar scores, all of us kind of in the 70s and, and kind of just traded traded um, holes that day. But um, that that was a lot of fun. So um, D-Ball and I were both 2-1 and one in our matches, and we closed them out on 17. So we decided to play 18 kind of for all the marbles. Um, D-Ball hit driver kind of over in the in the fescue on the left of, of 18. Really his only miss with the driver of the day, so I was kind of surprised. Uh, to see that, to be honest, again, a great driver of the golf ball and a good player in D-ball. Um, so I, I really enjoyed playing with him. But um, I hit three wood uh, just to the left, actually, of that same fescue. He whacks it once in there and ends up making bogey. And I and I I, I had a like a 12-foot birdie putt that I didn't make in a tap-in par to, to take the group. But what uh, do you, a lot of fun. Um, back in my match in the, with Dan Puzo, there was a group ting off of one, and he asked if we want if I wanted to go play eighteen as the playoff hole. And the official High Cotton Classic playoff is one two one. Continue to play out if if um, it's still tied after that. Being you know kind of founder commission whatever, I wanted to kind of stick to that. I didn't want to break from that. Um, but what do you think about eighteen there at Park Mammoth as a playoff hole? I I really like it because it is a it's a true definition of risk versus reward. You have the you have the first bunker on the right side of the fairway at like two twenty, and the second one to care to carry. Then the second one that covers the green is about two eighty from the tip. We tipped it out uh, at Park Mammoth, so it's about two eighty. So, but it but they move left to right. So a certain golf shot can hit driver there, and you have the reward. But a guy that certain misses are in play or wants a different number. He can take the safer play, and it's a diff, it's a more difficult second shot. But I really like the options that it gives you, and seeing which golfer comes out to play. Um, in mine and D balls particular situation, he went the more aggressive route. I was I had a three wood in my hand the entire time. It's crazy because that shot actually fits my eye, but the wind was in a direction that I didn't like. So I pulled three wood, actually kept it under the wind, and outdrove everybody on that hole with my three wood. Um, but I was over on the left and it gave me literally probably 30 yards from the left kind of on one headed back over into 18, but I think it's a great playoff hole. Yeah. It's a, personally, it just, I don't have the length to really take on any risk there. Um, so if that, that hole doesn't fit my eye personally, but I, I don't, that doesn't mean that I don't think it's a really, really good golf hole. Um, I hit everybody, you know, was watching my group come in. Chunk three iron off the tee. All right, that leaves me about 150 in, right? I'm going to try to hit just past the hole. I got an eight iron. Feeling good about it. S word. Boom. All right, now I'm over on like the women's tee by one. Not even on it. I got a That's funky line. That's where I was line. on my drive. I was yeah. in the same spot. Yeah, all right, sick. I got there in two. <laughs> all right, so now I, everybody's behind the green. I've just hit an S word. As I'm making contact, they go, Tiger, like yeah, Dude. not Tiger, more like JT on five. Dude, and so <laughs> now I have a wedge, and everybody's watching, you know, yucking it up, making fun of me for that shot that I just hit, and boom, just a beautiful little wedge. Use all the slopes, come back. Oh yeah, I have a 
a makeable putt. Did I make it? I don't remember. But the wedge shot was all that mattered. Dude, so I'm going to tell you my perspective of that whole thing going down. So D-Ball and I, after we finished up, as promised, we went back out to watch the Sunday pairing. Um, So we were coming down 17. um, And we heard the commotion. And at first, when everybody was going crazy, we we thought you just, like, either hold out, stuck it, whatever. But then as we kind of listened and heard what was to come, because voices carry out there, it was was spirited. Things were echoing throughout the golf course. Four was easily heard for people that had to holler. I hollered four once that day. Uh, A couple other guys hollered four. It carried out there. So uh, after we kind of heard some of that, we realized that the old S word reared its ugly head because we saw you over there and uh but we got to see the wedge as well so uh that was that was pretty funny uh but it it, it kind of speaks to the spirit of if i have that many guys watching me finish i really don't care what happens there i'm just excited that everybody's kind of getting to be there and in, in, in that environment there was only one group that finished when we did so yeah i didn't have any nerves about the golf shot i just haven't been playing good golf y'all like i don't know what to tell you but yeah for all y'all coming after connor's handicap like, I'm just not playing good golf. Um, all of my rounds are with other people and making a test. Like, yeah, I can hit wedge shots. That's it. That's all I have in the bag right now is some wedge shots. Make Every once in a while, I'll make a putt right now. But, like, it is a tough scene on the golf course. Um, we'll get into the classic again here in a minute. But it's just it's not great right now. But the extinction was getting into the derby. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not in a great place, so I get over my ball and I have to back off of it because I'm just, I want to give everybody a little bit of a show, but I felt like my ball position was off and I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit a ball in a derby when I feel like my ball position is a little bit off. Get back on it, you know, shout out Seth Grissom, puts on a little fuss and fight like we talked about last week. And I just, I hit probably my best drive of the day, just short of the green where, just in the perfect place for Gooch to skull a wedge over the green. It was just, just. I'm sorry, Gooch, but you put me in the one place where I couldn't get as close to the hole. The absolute one place Dude, around Gooch's number credit, one. He was astutely aware of that before and after the shot, and he knew what that meant for you as his partner. So, like, uh, all he had to do, Gooch, next time we can talk about it offline. I don't care if you take driver and put that thing five feet short of the green. I'll chip it within five feet from there, and you can make that putt. Gooch is precisely why I didn't take wedge on our approach and went ahead and decided to putt it through the thick, which, talking about the golf course, getting through the fringe, the greens were deceptive in a way that they looked they looked amazing. They were a hair slower than they looked, though, and that putt through the fringe was a lot more difficult. Still had a chance to make par. Um, uh, I think he hit it just a touch too hard, but um, definitely trying to manage that shot. That lie, it was, it was a, it was a hair, it was a little wet, maybe like not too wet, but it was a little wet um, from the day, um, and kind of a tight lie and a level surface. Yeah, I'm taking Texas wedge or something on the ground than trying to get something up all day there. But you live and you learn. Yeah, you live and you learn, and I'm just. I'm not salty. I'm just I'm just a little salty. <laughs> Dude, we took double bogey. We didn't even make the chip off. So, yeah, no, that yeah. that's fine. But like and once we once we got to the chip off, like having to pick the chip off myself and compete in it, I put myself in a position where like 
That's everybody. Where I was, well, it moved a little faster because I was going to kind of step in or like maybe just volunteer yeah. to help to maybe try to help that part, you know, so it's not all. But like one-sided. I picked the, the toughest spot on the green, right? Yeah. Like, oh, that's, that's pretty tough, unanim- that's, yeah. unanimous, unanimously. Like that was going to be the toughest spot to get it close. And of course, Seth is the one that got it the closest. Like, um, had to just execute that shot perfectly, and and he executed as best as he could have, and yeah, it still was still what 12, twelve feet. feet. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, what do you have anything else about the extinction? I mean, yeah, we I mean, could go on all day. Not, but I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit about Park Mammoth, um, and I know that there's probably a question about the golf course as well. But I want to get into it. First question I have for you is. Um, front nine or back nine? Uh, I, I'm still undecided, but I, I'd say, I would have to say back nine. If I, if you're going to put a gun to my head, I'm probably going to have more fun on the front nine. And like the back nine is like, I guess because I've been in some match play tight situations on the back nine, like it's. I think it's just a really, really good test. And it's like you got to go execute some shots, but there's also some spots to miss. Uh, when I'm thinking about, like, favorite hole on the golf course, I know we'll get into that, you know, with um, a question from uh, – let's see, who asked that? Klingon asked favorite hole in the back nine. Mm, um, that's what I was about to ask, too. Yeah, so I, whenever I think about that, 13, I don't know. I don't know why, but 13 keeps coming to my mind. I think 13 is a super good okay, hole. Okay, so you've got 11, par 3, 12, tee off, go around the corner. 13 is the one coming back. Yeah. It's the double green with 10. Yep. It's a I good think hole. 13 is a fantastic hole. It's a tee shot that you can, if you want to get it close um, to, to most of the hole locations. We had a hole location that was like back right, right? Um, so it wasn't yeah. necessarily true this day, but usually if you want to get it close, you're going to have to take it down the right side. You're going to have to take on that bunker, mm-hmm. but you have forever to bail out left. Yeah. Um, but then that green an elevated green with the bunker covering on the short left, kind of the, you know, 10 back, back left. Um, and then kind of the waste area, um, short grass area on the right. Mm. Yeah. I just really, really like that hole. Yeah. I mean, for me, I kind of took them. I, I like the I like the hole. I think it's a good hole. We did have the back right pin, so I went me going left to right with the golf ball and having forever left to be able to do that. I went for the mega angle, so I slung it out there pretty far left and brought it back to up there, um, and had a comfy wedge to hit over to the right side of the green. Um, but I think that's a good hole. I think for me on the back. Um, man, I really liked a lot of them. I like 17 a lot. I'm thinking that probably has something to do with the way that I maneuvered 17, uh, and, and, and all of that. But I, I liked a lot of the holes. I I really think I liked, um, well, I, I like 16, the long par three that's down, downhill. I love that hole Uh, and I love 17 too. There's not a single hole that you're going to mention that I'm not going to be like, yeah, I, I, I don't love it too. I think on the back, I'm going to take 10. Uh, and again, it could be that um, my how I how I personally played ten made a really big putt on ten, but uh, I like the risk reward that's offered there. We had win two, so it didn't make sense to try to hit driver. But I definitely thought to myself, on a day that the wind is right, I can I can take on that that risk and 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 see the benefits of that. But 
uh, I, I hit a two iron. Uh, I actually hit a two iron a little bit better than I thought. In reality, probably a four is the number. Two iron hit the very last limb of the tree down on the left, and it was up, but it was almost in the stuff. Um, but I, I was able to hit a nice wedge up there and, and sink a pretty pretty long birdie putt. But um, I like the hole because if you do take driver and you hit it on down there, then you have a pretty easy wedge shot into a, a difficult green. So um, in my I, pre- I really like ten. In my previous round, I had hit four iron into that junk because it was downwind. So I was oh, taking down, okay. I was taking four iron anyway. Okay. Um, so that left me like six iron, and where that hole location was, like on the right. I tried to use the slope, mm-hmm. and I I was a foot away from just knocking it into that slope and coming back down to the hole just perfectly. Mm. Um, instead, I flew that slope, and now I'm over like playing 13. Oh yeah! And so I have just this trickiest little nippy wedge shot, and I could not have hit it any better. Just got it to die on top of the hill, trickle down, made my. I was actually conceded the par because I hit it oh, so nice. close. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it was just love that hole, love the risk ward, like you said. Something about Park Mammoth with both the holes that you mentioned, 17 and 10, different than the last time that I played them because different wind directions. And I mm-hmm. think that that's something that speaks to the golf course, different wind directions. These holes different are going to play yeah. yeah, completely different. Sure. And it just always keeps your attention. Dude, I'll tell you what. And speaking of, I can see how this particular hole, if the wind's going another way, it can make it difficult. Uh, actually, 12 is kind of tough if you can't hit a certain drive because it is wide open on the right, but it's, it is a really kind of a big, it's like more, it's subtle, but it's, I think it's bigger than, and the green's tucked in back there that if you take on that tree line, it can kick it down. And that's what everybody in our group did. They kind of went more aggressive and it knocked it down in the stuff where I had that, that bell out over there. But in, in the right moments, it can kind of draw you in and it can really hurt you if you, if you don't take it. I think it's, I think it's sneaky. I'll say that because I had a comfy par, so I can't say much. Right. But I do think it's sneaky. I think it's a proper par four. Right. Um, and in my matches, it's definitely been a hole that has come to, to have a, a say in the outcome. Um, you know, Ricky took it tight in the in the previous match. And kicked uh, it down. And kicked it down exactly. and then so. took two to get out. I haven't um, – I'm playing forever right. I don't care yeah. if I have to hit three iron into that green. That's the problem with that hole is the further right that you play it, though. That green has a lot of nuance to it. It does. Once you get up there, and the whole green complex as a whole. So just because you get up around there does not guarantee you an up and down. Right. And that's – yeah, no, that's a tricky hole. I would say that hole is probably playing as a for our field a par four and a half. So I'll tell you my routing. So because it was so open on the right, we've talked about me working on putting this right this right to left draw swing in play. Oh, you finally did it. So we'll talk about it. Okay. So we're on the tee box, and and Vassal has Vassal has the honor from the par three, um, and. So I'm sorry, I was playing Brandon at that point. He has the honor from the par three, um, and he takes on the—he's a lefty, but he took on the aggressive line, and, his, and the trees kicked him down. So now I have a decision. I was always hitting driver, but I have a decision to make, and I'm—I'm I'm really thinking about like I can be far enough right that this right to left draw swing I've been working on. This is an opportunity because of how far right I was and how quick it turned. I knew that if I got a little quick and snap hooked it, that I'd probably get away with it. So I tried it. Well, I actually nuked it uh, dead straight. Um, So 
it didn't hurt, but I still had like 215 into that tough green. So I, I actually, I hit a, I hit a decent iron, but it was kind of to the back right of the green and it hit and trickled on down the hill um, because of the nuances in the green. So I had to hit a wedge, but I, I hit a wedge that was conceded by my competitor as well. So, but nice. um, uh, I, I think that that hole definitely has a chance to, to have some drama. I don't, I wouldn't call it best hole in the golf course, anything like that, but I think it's underrated and it, and it's definitely a pivotal hole in, in some match play stuff and things like that. And I love that it comes right after the short par three. Yeah, for sure. I love the placement of those three holes, yeah. really four holes together. I could say that about the whole golf course. Yeah, though. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So shout out Brian Ross. Shout out, um, let's see, shout out Laura Buring. I, I hope I didn't say that wrong. And shout out Andrew Meffert, um, GM and superintendent there. Um, just really appreciate them hosting us. Um, Park Mammoth could not have been a better venue for our event. And it was in great shape. A wet morning, but really we had great weather throughout the day and um, just an all-time day for the High Cotton Club. I'll tell you, highlight of my day, aside from, you know, how the first 18 went with winning the group and, and the number, um, and even as fun as it was interacting with everybody then, the Derby was a blast. The most fun that I had that day was the guys that didn't make it into the Derby and they were the, we were the first to be knocked out. And playing our own little fun alternate routing across the golf course while everybody was still out there. That to me is just again things that I just love about the club. Being able to do that, we had 13 guys hang behind and keep playing and doing their own thing. And it, it was just a blast. And then going to hang out on Nines Green to kind of finish the day before cleaning up. Um, that that was awesome. One more thing I'll say. So if you remember Nines Green, uh, I've got to tell the story a couple times. I think you saw the putt that we were practicing when we first got there. Yeah. Um, a lot of those you can go any direction and try to use the use the earth to move the golf ball. Well, this actually came up in my match um, on number nine. Brandon had um, uh, we both hit great drives, but I actually fluffed my first wedge and then hit my second wedge to the fringe. Um, Brandon had a nice comfy conceded par, so I had a par putt that had to go through the fringe and really fast exactly where we were practicing it there so because I pretty much knew I had to make it and it was highly unlikely that I was going to make it I decided to go ahead and do the the slope putt that we were messing around doing so I actually putted it backwards probably 20 feet up the green and let it almost come to a stop and work its way down and 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 nearly hold it but uh, had a comfy bogey from there but Having the opportunity to do that kind of when it mattered, but not really, was just another cool thing about the golf course and using the earth. That is one thing that I can say that I miss about playing at like Sweetens and other golf courses around here where you can't necessarily do it. It was cool to have another venue that you could do it. And, and really that I would say, hot take here because I love Sweetens, but I think I'm going to agree with you in the Sweetens to Park Mammoth debate. And I'll settle at Park Mammoth because I truly feel like it is 18 holes that I could play every single one of those holes individually over and over again. Yeah, there's so many different ways. And like you said, so many different alternate routings. It's no disrespect to Sweetens. It's just, God, this Park Mammoth yeah. place is special. And shout out to the guys on Refuge that have shown us a little love in our Park Mammoth recap. Uh, those those photos and, and, and all of that, man. Uh, great job with the photos. Love getting to just, I keep finding myself yeah. going back and looking at those and just reminiscing on the day a little bit. The, the Derby was a blast. The energy was incredible before going off on the Derby. 
Um, I, I, if, if you haven't had a chance to experience that type of golf, you are severely missing out. Yeah, I can't believe it's taken me this long to say thank you to Donnie Evans for crushing the photos. Some absolutely sick stuff. Um, and can't wait to see what else he's going to cook up with the High Cotton Club. Um, if you haven't seen what he posted, we'll be posting some more on our Instagram at the High Cotton Club. And he's got some on his own Instagram, which you can see if you go to our Instagram at the High Cotton Club. Um, we had a collaborated post, so you can find him pretty easily. Just cooked up some absolute fire with the drone, with the camera, and can't wait to see what else he's going to do for us. So thank you, Donnie Evans. Um, what was your favorite alternate shot? I've seen so many, and I haven't gotten hit one. What was your favorite alternate shot? Um, Not in the derby, meaning like your alternate routing shot. That we just created? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I would have to say – so can I just tell you real quick the three that we did? Yeah. Uh, so we did – when you guys went to two, we, we stayed at the tips of two and went over the trees into fives green. So a little 86-yard par three right there, but – of course, several guys got caught in those trees, and so it took a, uh, a, a a decent shot there. So that one was a cool routing. And then from there, we went to six sixes back tee to twos green all the way down, which is you probably saw the video of all of us hitting. Yep. That was a blast um, because you have the huge bunker on two in play. Originally, because we were waiting on the derby, so we're like, let's just, everybody was like, let's just play four. And Hefty Lefty was like, no, send it. So we waited. I actually went first and sent it and landed my ball right behind Stu and Ricky's cart uh, as they were pulling away. But that was that was probably the best one. But a lot of fun from there, too, was 3T to 9 green because 9 green in that bunker that's in play coming from that angle. Uh, so I'd probably have to say 6T to 2 green, really long, um, but a cool hole because you know how much 2 changes. Um, but then also that three T to nine green was super cool. Yeah. All, all good stuff. Can't wait to get back out there and hopefully do some more alternate routing stuff. Um, it's just, it's a perfect venue for it. Like we said, being able to see everybody, um, it's just God, I can't wait for more of it. What was your favorite part or moment of the extinction? This question from Nick Steen. Okay. Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I guess. Um, I say favorite moment, probably, uh, Number one tee at the Derby before the first tee ball was hit. Yep. Just the whole time yep. around there. Absolutely. Just, I, I, I mean, agree. Inter- interacting with literally everyone, everybody having a great time. Everywhere I turned, it was a dude that I was like, hit. I mean, hitting it off with. Whether it was a guy that I knew really well or a guy that I didn't know as well yet and just kicking it with people, talking. I was totally psyched out of my mind. I didn't even know that I was hitting the drive. Uh, like I loved it. It was it was so cool. Yeah. So um, the derby that we did, A players teed off one, B players teed off two, uh, A players off three, B players off eight. We moved the tees up for all of them, so they were all short. Um, eliminated six teams off one. Then we had a, a blind chip off. It was what five for one, mm-hmm. and then um, eliminate. We were going to eliminate. Let's see. We had. Um, eight teams left at, on two, right? So we were going to eliminate, um, I don't even remember, a bunch of numbers, but we ended up keeping a couple extra, um, eliminated them on three. So we had three teams on 8T, and um, old Peter West, tough scene, tough, tough scene, wedges out of bounds over the green. Um, 
we didn't call him on the out of bounds because we wanted to see the shot. Um, his partner couldn't pull it off. Um, ben Johnson couldn't pull it off. But I don't think Sevy could have pulled that shot off. Um, wow. It was just it was impossible. Eight, eight's a good hole. Eight's a really really good hole. Yeah, I really enjoyed eight that day. And so um, let's see, it was Dakota and Brian Turley. Dakota teed off, and then um, Brian Turley hit a really good wedge in there. Dakota just. Seth came over to me before he hit the putt, and they had made par. And he he said he looks like uh, Brooks Kepka over this. And I just I pointed down to my veins. I knew he was going to make that thing. I didn't pull out my my phone because I didn't want to jinx him. But getting ready for that putt, we all knew Dakota was going to make it, make that birdie, and and become extinction champs. So congratulations to those guys. Yeah, well well sick. earned. That's sick. All right. So uh, last question about the extinction. Actually, two more questions from Clay Doty. Um, favorite hole overall at Park Mammoth. We're going to take a quick break from our show to talk about our sponsors, our title sponsors in Golf RX and Mount Juliet, located at 11972 Lebanon Road in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. You can contact them at 615-288-4539. Can't say enough about Seth Grissom and Ryan Smith. I did my weekly stop in with those guys this week and got to hit on the new simulator. Uh, these guys have continued to invest in their store and put themselves in a position to get you uh, dialed in. Several guys in the club getting dialed in uh, with Seth and Ryan here lately. If you need any lessons, club repairs, custom fittings, grips, any of those things, you can contact Seth and Ryan. They're open 10 to 6, Monday through Saturday, and they will be able to get you dialed in. Back to this episode. Hmm. I think I, I may go with, uh, I know I just raved about some holes on the back, but I really like four and eight. Yeah, I mean, both really good holes. You you can't have a wrong answer here. Yeah, I mean, so four, I really like that there's not really a, you have to go up and take a look at it to see, but um, there's not really a, a super good target or sight line. So you have to just kind of use the knowledge of the golf course and what you have around you to commit to the shot. Um, but if but obviously for me, everybody knows how I like to move the golf ball. Taking it right over the, the huge mound going from the tee box that slopes way down there um, and just letting it literally ride that. I hit my ball, prob- I mean, it, it hit it the exact move of the earth like that. Uh, pretty much down the middle there. I mean, that was uh, it was very comfortable, and then a really cool second shot into a into a, a pretty flat green, but still, I mean, it's a it's a tough green out there, and there's bunkers kind of around that are in two, and um, I think just for the ability of you know that holes that fit my eye and and playable out there, um, I'd probably have to go with four. Well, you say it's flat, but that green complex is really intricate around it. If you go over to the right, you're going to go way down. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's a lot of nuance around that green complex as well. And so totally agree. Four is a good hole. Obviously think eight's a great hole, uh, with the green complex, just yeah. the, you can take it back off the tee and kind of leave yourself at the top of the hill, or you can hit driver and leave yourself a wedge shot on that kind of down slope. That's kind of what I've been trying to go back and forth with and really using the wind to decide on what I'm going to do there. Um, I tend to take it way too close to the road on that hole. Um, need to stop that and get out of that mm-hmm. habit. But a uh, really good hole there. For me, I'm going to stick with what I've been saying. Number one, I love number one. I think it's a great intro to the golf course. Welcome to the day. Go have fun. Welcome to Park Mammoth. Um, 
you have forever to miss left, but you want to take it as close to the right as you can. Just the way the tee box sets up, you just want to take it down the right. And uh, you can have a wedge in there or you can have a mid iron in there if you don't hit it well. And so it's, it's just a really good hold. The green complex, um, super good. You know, you're hitting up at it. I've said it before. And so you have to really control your distance. Um, super good hole. I'm going to stick with it. That's my favorite hole in the golf course. Uh, yeah, one is a great hole. Um, it, you know, you do have that, you know, it, it entices you to take it a little bit closer. Um, one thing I appreciated and enjoyed about the golf course was the space that was used for the golf course and having more room than really what you initially think, and especially like um, – the depth of the golf course. So hit, hitting where it may not look like a, a drivable hole, but being able to hit driver and seeing that, it, okay, it did get out there. Or I like the move of the earth that way on the golf course and having a little bit more room than it appears. But also that whole persona is what draws you in to take the risk on some of those holes when the ball doesn't actually i i just i love the whole i I like how the old bait and switch kind of there's a huge depth perception problem out there and i say problem in the best way possible because you have to you have to make some decisions and you have to kind of get over some some uh visual deception and there and i'll say this like i i would say i was pretty much uh foot on the throttle in terms of driver uh that on that particular day only a couple of holes i laid back but um I, I really can see where on days where the wind's different, that's going to be a lot more challenging. Different looks of the golf course. I loved it. I can't wait to go back. Yeah, speaking of going back, we have a question from, let's see, from our man from the Ohio Roost, Musky4041, asking on Instagram, how good is Park Mammoth worth the drive from Cincy? Get your folks with the Ohio Roost. Come down. We're going to plan something for the fall. It'll definitely be worth it. Park Mammoth is worth it by itself, but the event that we're going to run, man, it's going to be an awesome time. Hoping to get the Ohio roost, hoping to get the Confluence roost, get everybody together, have a really big time in central Kentucky, just north of Bowling Green. Um, Park City, Kentucky, baby, that's where it's at. You've heard us talk about Park Mammoth at length now. Yes, it's that good. It's worth the trip from wherever you're coming from. Um, Excited to get a big group of no laying out guys out there in the fall circling circling september or october working to get details dialed in hoping to hear back from um the captains or event planners you know whoever we got to talk to from the other roosts but we'd love to get things dialed in there uh my only rebuttal to is it good enough i'll say this we're fortunate to be enjoying this golf course on the front end right now because it is inevitable it will blow up in the same way that sweetens did mark that put it down in your calendar in the book that will happen. Um, it is that good. It is worth the drive. Um, and you will not be disappointed when you get to go out and experience the golf course. Yeah, when you pull down the road and you see all these local houses, these guys that had no idea what was probably being built next to them, and still the locals really don't understand how good it is. Um, man, it's it's going to be a special, special place with all the plans that they have to expand it, driving range, putting green plans beyond that um it's going to be a special spot for sure and it already is so absolutely worth the trip can't recommend it enough but um come down in the fall we're gonna have a big event we're gonna get it dialed in and it's gonna be bigger and better than the extinction so get get signed up all right so moving forward the rest of our season 
is right in front of us. It's May 26th as we're recording this. The end of our season is July 31st. It ends in Knoxville against the North Carolina Roos. So with that being said, we have the retreat at Henry Horton on 6-12. We have the salute of Vinny Links on 6-9 just a couple days before that. Those are our last two regular season events for your chance to get into the showdown at the Legacy on July 9th. If you haven't competed in three events, you have two events left. You can get three events, or you can show up to these events and earn your qualifier spot right out. Um, outright, excuse me. So we're going to have uh, right around 40, 40, it should be about 40 at the showdown, competing for eight spots in a derby, net stroke play qualifying. It's going to be electric. The merchandise is going to be, you know, I threw it in the Discord earlier this week. Um, the showdown is going to be the combination between the extinction and the classic. It's going to be a big, big time, um, but the swag is going to be, we're working to make it off the charts for this one. It's, it's our season-ending event, and we want to go out season one with an absolute bang. Yeah, I cannot wait to see what comes from the showdown and all that. I'm, I'm very sad that I'm going to be missing it, but for good reason. Uh, and it, it's going to be, I mean, what a way to kind of wrap up year one, even as abbreviated as it feels like, uh, and getting ready kind of in the, the second season, if you will, uh, for the roost in the, in the high cotton club. But, uh, Tons of, of stuff to look forward to with that and can't wait to see the rest of that unravel. Yep, so um, the salute of Vinny Links, like I said, still waiting on emails back from Vinny Links and Henry Horton. I'll put in a phone call today to see if I can't effort those replies a little quicker um, without being too annoying and too much of a pest because we try to res- respect everybody's time, respect everybody's space without um, with having in mind that we want to get these things dialed in too. So uh, we'll work on that. But um, looking at a Stableford event at Henry Horton on 612, and then looking at um, three clubs, um, nine holes with a little derby afterwards at the Vinny Links. So excited about that. That's just going to be a little, you know, if, if all these other events are parties, that's just going to be a little kickback. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that'll, that'll be, that'll be fun. Three, six, nine at the Vinny links. Yes, sir. So, um, and then the showdown July 9th at the legacy, that's the big deal. That's what we're really amping up for and getting dialed in. Um, as all those single day events are going on, the high cotton classic is officially underway in the States of Kentucky and Alabama. And it feels great to finally say that I drug my feet. I apologize. Things happen. You got to keep the main thing, the main thing sometimes. And, uh, with that being said, we are finally here. We are underway. We got four guys competing in Kentucky. We got four guys competing in Alabama. Small events, but with uh, a group of diehards, it's sure to gain momentum, gain traction, and next year should be even bigger and better. But um, these four guys are going to be competing in a group play stage, so they're all going to play each other for seeding in a bracket play stage. There will be no consolation match. So you just got to get into the bracket play, and then you have to win to advance to the finals. Uh, we're going to take – I think we're going to take a few of these guys. I know we're going to take a few. Uh, have to dial in the exact numbers for the you know High Cotton Cup. I'm not sure if we're going to take all four or if we're just going to take two. Um, but we'll see. We'll figure that out, and we'll announce it on the next pod. So stay tuned, as always, to Dialed In, podcast by the High Cotton Club, presented by Golf RX. No free shout-outs. Um, so – um, yeah, it's just really exciting to finally have that underway and appreciate the guys who have gotten involved. Um, in Alabama, we have 
Matt Britton, Mace Muse. Um, we have Dustin Ball. And gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking right now. Um, who I'm blanking right now. Let me see. Um, cover me for a second, Tanner. Was, Goodness. He, was, uh, was he D-Ball's partner? In the derby? Yeah, yeah, Justin Meese. I can't yeah, believe I yeah, yeah I can't believe I forgot. Yeah, so we got the four of them competing, and then in Kentucky we got um, Trenton Gott, High Cotton Classic veteran, the only veteran of the High Cotton Classic starting out these um, individual state brackets. Appreciate him doing that. And then we got uh, Nick Steen. We got um, Golly, I'm blanking. See, and I'll get into this in a little bit. I got some stuff going on. Things happen. Um, not thinking my best, not feeling my best, but. We're here, and we're, we're grinding out the content for y'all. So we got Nick Steen in Kentucky. We got Alex Harden in Kentucky. That's the name that I was forgetting. Um, Trenton got, and then let's see, we got one more. Um, JP Mann. Oh, Hefty Lefty's holding it down. Oh, so, yep, okay. Yep. So play a little bit. So really strong group up in Kentucky and excited and appreciate them very much for getting us uh, all dialed in up there. Yeah, shout out to both of those uh, states and members of the club getting dialed in for the High Cotton Classic and uh, ready to see how that unfolds. And I hope the drama is as good as some of our drama has been uh, now and heading into stage three of the Classic. Yeah, stage or he- two. Sorry, no, heading into stage or heading into uh, the the bracket play yeah. after stage three. Yeah. yeah. Um, goodness gracious, do we have some drama? I'll go ahead and pull it up here because. The only really situation that we're waiting on right now is down with uh, the, uh, I forget whose hitters they are, but I can see it in my head. It's, uh, gosh, this is great content today for y'all. I really appreciate you bearing with us. But it's Vince Gallagher, Hunter Clary, George Falk, and Wes Stamey. I think all four of them still have to play. And so Hunter and Vince are supposed to play this weekend. If Hunter takes care of business, it's over with. But Vince can create some drama. And it uh, should be very interesting to see there. Yeah, and that, I mean, and that's a, another one where Bud Falk can sneak in and, and be the guy that runs away with it. So uh, really interesting to see how that one's unfolding. But we've got some guys that are already the clear-cut guys advancing into uh, the next the the next eight uh who's moving on so casey's hitters john stewart won that group congratulations to mr john stewart defeated alex munoz in a tough fought match um but congratulations to mr john stewart high cotton classic veteran mr 64 advancing out of casey's hitters well deserved um his legacy compadre and friend will borthick advancing out of nils hitter so they will face each other um we have yet to reset the handicap so don't know exactly what the stroke differential tell me that will be at legacy. is going to be there um there's talk about it not being at legacy about taking it somewhere else since they like both play it so often who knows that would be interesting we'd love to see that match there for sure um dj's hitters jay roten advances out of that bracket 10 points there for Jay Roten. Um, just came out, did what he had to do, um, made a bunch of birdies in some matches, and um, congratulations to him. He was a heavy favorite in the Calcutta for a reason. He's a world-class driver of the golf ball, and I say that with full respect and knowing what that means. He hits the ball a long way, and he makes some high numbers for sure, but in match play, he eliminates those with his low numbers. That's exactly what I was about to say. I mean, that's the crazy thing about match play is if you have a high number, that just means you lose that hole. But if you can salvage your round and play relatively smart golf and get birdies back on the card, that's how guys are able to hang in. It sounds like that's what he's been able to do. 
So um, we mentioned big Randy's hitters where Hunter Clary has to take care of business to end that. If Vince wins in dramatic enough fashion, um, either he can advance or if, if West Amy beats George Falk or if George Falk beats West Amy, West Amy would actually – or uh, George Falk would actually advance in the tiebreaker scenario there. So lots to monitor there. Um, Tron's hitters, your group, Mr. Jacob Beers, former champion, kind of uh, just went out and did what he had to do. Um, you can kind of speak to that more than I can. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I almost said, you know, kind of what everybody, ex, you know, expected. But, you know, coming from a guy in, in that group, it is what it is. Um, I look forward to the to the day to play beers again and, and, and kind of hash that out. But, um, yeah, uh, beer. listen, beers is a tough guy to beat. Again, you know what you're going to get with him. You have to go play your best golf against him because he's extremely consistent. Um, he knows what he's doing on the golf course and, and, and just a good guy overall and a, and a great guy to play against and to compete with. And then we get into Solly's hitters where we had, uh, I don't know if you, some might call it an upset with Logan Doris defeating Seth Grissom on Monday out at the Hermitage President's Reserve. Logan Doris came up, did what he had to do to advance out of his group. Seth Grissom just couldn't get any putts to drop that day. Um, tough for him, but congratulations to Logan Doris getting some strokes in that match and took advantage of him where he had to to get the dub there. Yeah, it's always tough when you see a match given that many strokes and it goes to 18 because you have all the what-ifs that play back. But um, it was inevitable that some drama was going to ensue somewhere, and um, I think that the the classic is better for the drama and the storyline. Uh, two heck of competitors, and it just sounded like after talking to Dylan that Logan's been playing some good golf lately, and um, we knew if that he was going to be anywhere in the low to mid seventies, that Seth was going to have to have his very best, given seven strokes, and uh, ultimately that's what happened. Yeah. So um, going on to Cody's hitters. Proud to say for my guy Cody, I advanced. I wanted to do it for you. I wanted to put on for the boy, and I was happy to take care of business last week. And the the toughest, yeah, I'll say the toughest match I've ever played. We can get into it a little bit just because it was it was a heck of a match with Dan Puzo. I was three down after 10, came back to where I was one up heading into 18 before I duck hooked it into the tall grass, lost my golf ball, and we ended up going into a three-hole playoff. Took three holes for me to – make the birdie and win the match. but What um, hole did you birdie on? In the playoff? Yeah. One. So one. the playoff was 1-2-1. One, one. Um, I lipped out on one to win it, or for a birdie the first time. He missed his birdie, so he moved on. Um, number two, I was deep. I lipped out a chip, then lipped out a putt, so I missed it two ways, and then go back to one and made the birdie. So I was – I was after it in the playoff. I was grinding to make it um, and finally got one to fall. Um, he said when I was set up for that birdie putt, um, the third time playing one, second time in the playoff, he knew I was going to make it. I found a little something with my putting that day. I had been lining up with my hips closed, so I kind of sat back with my right hip and hit it on line, hit it solid, and dripped it from that right-to-left putt. And um, Really – it was one of those things where a bunch of times you have a reaction or something like that. There was absolutely nothing for me. Walked up, get the putt. Um, even after, not a whole lot of reaction because it was, it was a hard-fought match. It could have gone either way. Um, and he was a heck of a competitor. Appreciate him getting involved. Um, gosh, what a match it was. 
Yeah, and congratulations to you. But any time that you go that deep into a match and great golf across the board has been played, uh, it's just like, man, whoever wins this deserves it. Yep. Um, you know, you can't really you can't really hang your head about that one way or the other if you come off on the other end on that. But um, that that's awesome. Happy to hear that for you, and congratulations. Um, but it, but that that again is why you sign up and you play in the classic for things like that. So my next opponent will be Mr. Sam Roten, defending champion. Um, got to face him. He's coming off playing in some tournaments, so he defeated Mr. Uh, let's see, yeah, he just he went through his group, did what he had to do to to earn all the possible points. Well, well deserved to come out of his group. We kind of. We, we thought that Patrick Patton might be able to throw a curveball. Drew Floyd tried to give him his best, uh, but just wasn't enough. And Sam Roten will be, you know, I know that he's looking his chops trying to get past me. We played a bit of golf together, so um, it should be an interesting match. I'm absolutely going to need my best, and we'll see what, what comes of it. That, that location and venue, he won't play me at Legacy. He won't play me at Kenny Perry's. Part man that's on the table, but I heard he was four under through six up there. So I'm struggling to make birdies up there as it is. I don't know if I'm going to take all that. Um, it's just it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But a lot of stuff to come with the classic, and excited to see what happens as the bracket play uh, kicks off. Yeah, that's awesome. I I, I want to hear your thoughts really quickly on Beers versus Logan Doris. Um, I talked to Logan a little bit about it. Beers is a absolute menace match play menace um he's one of those guys that one of the difficulties about going to play with logan is like he's gonna have a really good time when he's playing golf and if you are one of those guys that needs to absolutely lock in and can't lock that stuff out he can bring you down a couple strokes and so beers is one of those guys who can go out have a couple beers have a big time and still shoot a number so I think that this is one of those matches where Logan kind of loses his advantage that way, and it's all going to come down to golf. Well, and here's the thing. Logan has to play nearly the same round he just played against Seth, um, against Beers, and he's getting less strokes in that because, you know, there's there's obviously a lot of differences in Seth and Beers, a plus three and a two. However, I've seen Beers play when he's on, obviously, and there's a lot of good golf in there, and you have to play your best against him in match play, period. 1,000% Logan has to bring his A game, but Logan can bring his A game and win that match. It's just got to happen. Yeah, his uh, practice round at Bluegrass before playing against Seth, he shot uh, five under on the back, 31. Golly. That speaks to Logan's game because he was 42 on the front. Exactly, and that's one of those things with handicaps. Like Handicaps, you can play better than your handicap. The thing about all of our handicaps is we don't play often enough to be consistent. We all have days where we show up and we don't feel good physically and we shoot a high number where we have things going off on in our personal lives and we can't focus like we should be. So there's always, you know, there's highs and there's lows and handicaps. We all put our scores into the same system. It calculates it as it calculates it. We all go to 75% the same way. Um, So handicaps are what they are. Um, You know, I understand a little bit of um, frustration after you lose a match sometimes. But there, you know, we all are what we are. Where we play can kind of dictate our handicap sometimes. Um, but we're all just, or excuse me, we're all, um, how should I say, uh, subject to the same system. Yeah, here's the last thing I'm gonna say on handicaps. Um, 
if you disagree with someone's handicap, take it up with him. Uh, if you still disagree, go play him on the golf course. So what do you think about Stu versus Borthick? I know we don't really know what the handicap differential is going to be yet, but you mentioned a couple legacy guys. I don't know if they're going to play at the legacy or not, but what do you see happening in that match? Uh, I mean, it's hard to root against or to bet against Stu, obviously. Um, I think again against against him, you've got to go out and you've got to you've got to play good golf. Um, he's a guy that obviously he can make some mistakes, but uh, he's also done a good job of having a clutch factor and uh, eliminating those mistakes uh, when he needs to. So a tremendous competitor. I don't know enough about Borthick. Uh, to really comment, obviously he's got some stones and some clutch factor about him. Um, depending on the handicap differential, I think it's just that's what these that's what this part of the classic is really all about. Is everybody's gonna be able to play golf at this point? You got to go out and play. And everybody's got that dog at this point and yeah. that ability to win. So yeah, it's a it's a bunch of um, same day factors. We'll see what happens, but excited to see what happens in that one. Um, and like we said, don't know who Jay Roten's going to face yet, um, but um, yeah, excited to see. So moving on to our, our Q&A, we already answered a bunch of our questions regarding Park Mammoth, but Peter West had a great question. What does it take for, to get from a nine handicap to a five handicap in terms of practice, swing specifics, mental details, course management, etc., and then from a five to a scratch? So I've, I've done some thinking about this, so I'll let you think about it. From a nine to a five, um, I think the difference there is all around the short game and your ability to execute short game shots. Having a different arsenal from 120 yards and in, developing that and being able to execute time and time again. The difference from a you know a five to a scratch is getting that even better. But then you start to get all of the course management things, which you can you can get from a nine to a five just by making some course management decisions, but you're always going to have those higher rounds when your short game is off. So I think it's combining the course management with making the right decisions throughout the day, right? Not firing at flags all the time, taking the safe decision with middle of the green. If you hit middle of the green and make a bunch of two putts, your round's going to be better than if you are firing at every one, you make a couple one putts and a bunch of three and four putts, or you're not getting up and down all the time. So it's, it's um, firing at conservative targets aggressively and then getting to where you can have an artillery of short game shots from 120 yards in to employ all the time. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I like everything that you said there, and I think this is a good question. Uh, in terms of when I think about the, que- the question that you asked, uh, Pete, the nine to five is I think about the my own natural maturation of, of my golf game as it's grown. I think especially in there, I think Connor hit the nail on the head um, with your short game being a little bit better. One thing that I had to figure out is what one thing was I going to be the best at, um, and at that point in my in my game, uh, I figured that it needed to be wedges, and that's just because of the golf courses that I was playing at the time. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of in a place right now, you know, to add, you know, to talk about that five to, to scratch, uh, I'm in a place right now. I've given myself a personal goal of by the end of 2023, I'd like to maybe see a scratch handicap, uh, and, and what I need to do to, to, to go into that. But I can say I'm very much in the process right now of figuring some things out, um, that I like about my game. One of those things, again, is continuing to practice the things that I feel like 
that I'm that I'm good at so that when I go out and play, I'm good at it. Period. Then the things that I struggle with in my game get a little more attention in practice and, and when I play a practice round or, or playing when it doesn't necessarily mean as much or whatever. But I truly think um, learning to have uh, different shots in the bag is going to be a big one going from a five to a scratch. The ability to learn um, to navigate the golf course a little bit better by pulling something else out of your arsenal I think is probably a really big uh, tool to have um, and then getting comfortable playing at a number that works for you. I think that's the main thing that I've seen uh, in my game as it's continued to improve but against guys that have beat me consistently and that I've watched consistently be good is they're really good from their particular numbers in those situations and so I think that's one thing that I aspire to continue to kind of develop. Yeah I think you it can get misconstrued with we're overcomplicating it. We're actually simplifying it. What if you watch me play? I'll play a very simple style of golf. Like try to keep it in front of you. Try to try to just keep it on the ground around the greens. A bunch of people try to overcomplicate it. When we're talking about swing specifics, simplify everything. You don't need a whole bunch of stuff going on. You don't need a super long golf swing. Um, everybody can get in this like track man race and this numbers race where you're trying to get faster, 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 more ball speed, more ball speed, more ball speed, get the ball in the middle of the hole. That's what you got to do. There's guys who will hit eight iron when I'm hitting six iron, but my six iron is closer. So what does it matter that I'm hitting six iron? Now, when we get to two thirty and they're able to get there and I'm not, my short game is good enough that like, I just got to do what I got to do, but Hey, Maybe I go to Seth and Ryan at Golf RX, I get a little five wood in the bag, and now I'm deadly from that distance. You know, if you just have the right tools in the bag, it can make a big difference too. Um, so it's all in how much you're willing to put into it. Um, the short game is all about time. I was never a good putter until I tore my labrum. And then all I could do for four to five months in recovery was putt and chip. And ever since then, that's been the strength of my game. Yeah, I, I got two more things that I'd like to say very briefly, and, and that's um, you talk about simplifying things. I think one of the best takeaways I had from playing high school golf, I had a coach one time. I put myself in a pretty tight spot of bother, and uh, when he came up to me, he was, you know, he basically just asked, like, what are, what are you thinking about here? And I told him some crazy, like, miraculous shot probably like Bubba at the Masters you know like in the trees like I told him I was going to do all this fancy stuff and he looked back at me and he said son if you were that good you wouldn't be over here and and drove away and that stuck with me like if I was that good I wouldn't have been in that spot to begin with so um, I say that to say and this was the other point that I was getting ready to make um, getting yourself in a position to constantly giving yourself opportunities and putting yourself in position to 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 take advantage of that next shot is really what I'm learning is the most important thing whatever shot came before that regards to the outcome water off a duck's back whether it was a great shot and it puts you in a good place or a not so great shot that's going to create it if you have an opportunity to fire it a pin fire it a pin but if the better option is to lay back and play it smarter and this we you and I were talking about this before the pod but um, thinking about number 17 when I'm playing against Vassal out here this weekend um, you know I had a you know he was in a spot of bother I had an option to go for the green but it was a little bit of a risk uh, but instead I, I laid back and I hit it to a number that I felt really comfortable in hitting it there and ended up winning the hole 
Um, I think that is the big difference. Whereas before I would have gotten in an arms race with myself and just tried to prove that I could get there. Yes, I can get there and I probably could have, but was it worth being in the huge bunker in front of the green or longer or, or getting too aggressive and pulling it into the trees? No, it wasn't the six iron that left me 40 yards in a, in a, in a really great birdie opportunity is, is the better decision. I think to your point, that is where you start to see things change about your game. And actually, Peter saw me hit that shot, so that's kind of funny, too, that he asked that question. Yeah, and, and I mean, Peter specifically, you know, you're looking to, to cut down strokes. I know that it's been a long day, and there's exterior uh, factors, but, you know, that shot in the derby, you know, it, it comes down to it. Like, that's a shot that you have to be able to hit under pressure. You know, the, the plus handicaps in that group hit it within 10 feet, and you're the highest handicap in the group, and you miss the shot. So I'm not trying to come at you, but that's just that's a point and example of this is one of those things to improve, dial in, and be able to take under pressure. Another thing, being able to handle under pressure with that we've talked about with everybody with the derby, a bunch of people don't think about their breath at all on the golf course, and having control of your breath is having control of your nerves. And so figure figure that out, and that will save you two to three shots around. I promise. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so moving on, wrapping it up with some life advice as we always do. Um, Tanner, you usually go first, so I'll let you go ahead and and lead us off. Yeah, I, I was kind of back and forth this week, and really up until this moment, I didn't really have anything that I was just crazy excited about. So um, I'll, I'll just kind of um, I'll just kind of go with this and and, and say that if you if you're gonna do something, do it. Um, be true to your word. And uh, if you decide that you're going to wake up and run two miles, go run your two miles. If you decide you're going to wake up and, and read 10 pages of your book every single day for the next 30 days, do that. If it means that you're going to make your bed every single day, do that. Um, I, I feel like too many times in my own life even that I've given myself goals and I've allowed myself to have small compromises creep in and take away from those. And I, I'm, I'm trying to learn to, to do the opposite of that. And when I have small things in front of me doing it, and, and it's kind of like the analogy, like we can see my son's room in there and, um, in his closet, if he takes a shirt off of a hanger, cause he's starting to get his own things. If he takes a shirt off of a hanger and the neck and the shirt on the hanger beside it also falls down, he has a decision that he could either pick that one up and put it back, or he can wait until later. But what happens when later if he does that same thing again and now he's got two shirts that piled up? Things can pile up and, and you can take an easy way out. But if you're going to do something, commit to it and do it. Love that. thousand percent. I've been trying to make my bed, so I've, I appreciate that. I think that's a great one. Uh, I know it's silly, but yeah, trying to do the little things and if you're going to do them, do them. Um, for me, um, We've talked about Lyme disease before on the podcast. I hate talking about Lyme disease. I feel like I talk about it every single day of my life. Um, and so I and I hate talking about myself anyway. Um, but a couple of days ago, found a tick on me. Um, pulled it off, and the, the, the red ring has developed. Any, anyway, the red ring isn't always a, a sign of, of something, but the red ring's developed. So I've gone on antibiotics and all the stuff that I need to go on for preventative measures since I already have Lyme. And it, it, the stuff that you should already be going on if you get a tick bite. Um, but, you know, my life advice is wear, brugs, wear bug spray, wear pants, wear and long sleeves where you're going to be exposed to ticks. 
Um, it's not hard to wear bug spray. Um, for me, you know, I think about it at the golf course, but um, sometimes you forget. Um, I don't think that I got it at Park Mammoth. I think that I got it working outside at the house. Um, but, you know, it's a tough scene. Um, not feeling my best, just kind of nervy about it all. It's, it's a big mental thing. Um, but you know, you know, I'm still here <laughs> and so no, nothing's going to take me down. Um, you know, my grandfather used to say tough as a boot full of barbed wire. And so just, uh, head down, grind it out, get through it. But, um, life advice, wear bug spray, try to be preventative with the ticks because they can change your life in, in blink of an eye. All right, so another great episode. I hate to end it that way, um, but appreciate everybody for listening to episode 11 of Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club. For my man Tanner Sandell here, I'm Connor Hendrickson. Thank you so much. Um, As always, thank you. Um, Just can't thank you enough. So, Tanner? Thanks for listening to Dialed In, a podcast by the High Cotton Club, where we are keeping you dialed.